Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, the NFL as we know it came about because the old AFL had staying power. Besides a second straight Super Bowl upset, it began with two men and an Oldsmobile. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's Tuesday night. Get my papers together. All right, let's get to it. NFL historians and lovers of sports history Welcome in to show us for all of you guys and gals. Again, I always say this. If you already know this stuff, all right, that's great. You know, congratulations. But remember there's somebody else that does not. And so that's why my show exists. That's why I am here. And I'm here to do three things. And that is enlighten, teach, and learn. There's always somebody else that doesn't know as much about NFL history. You ever notice that? They're not. Everybody don't pay attention. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, also Belly Up Media, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. That's what we're a part of. BellyUpSports.com. Go to it. Click on the website. Check out our merch as well as the shows, the writers. We have terrific writers. And you can catch all of our shows on our home base of Megaphone. Also, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. And, uh, you know, all of those favorites. So, let's get to it. But I have a little something I need to get off my chest before we get to these notes and the rundown. So, Colorado. Look, I mean, I love Dion. I'm rooting for Colorado. But I'm telling you right now, I mean, let's just be honest. I understand. Don't call me a hater and all that stuff. Look, let's just be real. Let's calm down and let's just see what happens over the rest of this season. Remember, Colorado, they turned the whole roster over. So this is a different team. So that's being fair. He's brought playmakers as well as great coaching to this program. They wouldn't be 3-0 without it. But let's just be real. TCU, they lost just as many players as they did, as Colorado did. And their defense was terrible. So, you know, the bottom fell out towards the end of that game, even though they kind of was going back and forth, right? Then Nebraska, I told you, I, well, I didn't tell you. I talked to other people. I don't talk college football on this podcast 
and maybe I should. But um, let's just be real. I mean, look, Nebraska, I watched them play the week before. They played against Minnesota. And if the guy, the, the, the running back, no, not the running the quarterback, if he wasn't running with the football, okay, I forget his name, then there was no offers for Nebraska. And Nebraska is not a very good team right now. Sorry, Matt Rule. And then they were supposed to beat Colorado State at home with college game day in their back pocket, as well as every rapper in the known universe to stand right next to the rock on the sideline. They were supposed to beat them by 20-plus points, and you take that pick six off the board. I mean, plays are plays, and if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. Yeah, but they struggled at home to beat a team that was not that great. And maybe they were just better than people thought they were going to be, Colorado State. They play well. But what, 10 personal fouls? 10, 15-yard penalties? You know, I just had to vent. But look here, let's let's go ahead and get to it. Here it is, the rundown. Kick the music. All right, Thursday night football, Vikings at Eagles. I can't blame Kirk Cousins for this loss. They got through for, what, 364 yards. And, you know, his offensive line is dying around him. And, I mean, you can only do so much. And I did say that last week that Justin Jefferson didn't look happy. And he had another big day receiving-wise. And I'm not saying it's because of Kirk Cousins. You know, this team is starting to dip. It is. The defense isn't playing that great, obviously. The offensive line is got holes all in it. It's bad. There is no running game. Their best running back now is playing for the New York Jets. And his situation didn't exactly improve. Uh, Brees Hall should have got more than, you know, let me shut up. I'm, I'm going too, I'm going too fast. I'm sorry. But, uh, and Madison didn't, Alexander Madison did not deserve uh, what he got through social media. You guys, y'all got to get a life. But anyway, I mean, I, you can't, you can't have that. But turnovers, you got four fumbles, man. That doesn't help at all. And let's go to the Eagles. The Eagles, I mean, they're not the same team. Clearly they're not. Offense is just different kind of you know their offensive coordinator uh Shane Stitchin he's head coaching the Indianapolis Colts their defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon he's with the Cardinals you know you got Brian Johnson and Sean Desai as the replacements I'm not saying that they're bad they're just different and it's going to take some time for things to let's just say begin to gel they got the win yes but then <laughs> AJ Brown pitching a hissy fit on the sideline because he wasn't getting the ball. He was, hey, look, Jalen's on the sideline. I got you. I got you. You know, it's okay. It's okay. And I think that they'll be better uh, going forward. I mean, it is, this team did go to the Super Bowl. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that that means that they're going to be great because Super Bowl losing teams don't always fare good the next season. But I believe in the Eagles. I really do. So fly Eagles fly, Philly 34, Minnesota, 27. And here's what I'm going to have to also put in here. So you, you got a lot of 0-2 teams. You know what it is with you start 0-2 in the playoffs and also running back injuries. So with that being said, Chargers at Titans. The Titans had won, what, since that Green Bay game last year? And they lost, what, eight in a row. Looked like they was on the road to the playoffs and the bottom fell out. They didn't take the bottom of the box. But uh, Titans fans need to tell their kicker, Nick Folk, thank you. 41-yard field, 41 yard field goal in overtime. They win, 27-24. to 24. But uh, how good are the Chargers? I know one of those running backs, here we go again, he's already out. 
<laughs> he wanted to get paid. Austin Eckler wanted to get paid. He's on the sideline. Now, just I'm just telling you, as examples, based on the shows that I did a couple weeks ago, you got, here's one. He's, Austin Eckler is on the shelf, right? But how good are the Chargers? How good is really Justin Herbert? He just got paid. You know, Staley, your head coach, how good is he? And the defense, yeah, you got Khalil Mack, you got Bosa, but how good are they really? And they're always in these close games. I, I don't understand it either. And either they lose these one possession games, unlike the Vikings we just got through talking about. They went, what, 11-0 last year during the regular season in those one possession games. They need Justin Herbert to put them over the top. They really do. But it's just not happening. I don't know. But here's LA. They're sitting in an 0-2 hole. Raiders at the Bills. Now, you see what happens when Josh Allen has zero turnovers? So, you got the Bills running back. Also, uh, I thought this was interesting. Listening to Dan Patrick, he talked about Latavius Murray. He scored the touchdown on Sunday. And he's the fourth player in NFL history to score a rushing touchdown with at least six teams. He, he has played with a lot of teams. You know, Adrian Peterson was the other. And you got two quarterbacks. Chris Chandler, he scored a rushing touchdown with six teams. And then, of course, Fitzmagic, he scored with eight teams. So... But that's not all that I saw. Trey Tucker, so he led the Raiders in rushing. One carry for 34 yards. And where was Josh Jacobs? My man, a career worst, nine carries for minus two yards. Another guy that wanted to get his money. I'm not saying these guys aren't worthy, but according to Elias Sports Bureau, it's the first time since the league's merger, since 1970, that the defending rushing champion had negative yardage. Bills 38, Raiders 10. Ravens and Bengals, stop me if you heard this before. The Ravens are missing a lot of injured starters. Yeah, OBJ, he went down as well. Um, prayers up for him, but on the offensive line, running back, and also you got defensive backs. It didn't matter, you know, at least not this week. Lamar Jackson, he's kind of, maybe because we're not paying as much attention to him just yet, he's sneakily doing his thing. He ain't just like had numbers that just made you you know, look at the screen like, oh my God, you know, he hasn't done, but they're winning and he's, he's doing his thing. Mark Andrews is back. He scores a touchdown on Sunday, but as far as the Bengals, they're in some trouble. There's two years in a row. They start off 0-2. That's not good. And you know what's worse? Joe B. Joe Burrow, he re-aggravates that calf injury that he had at the beginning of the training camp. That's not that's not good for the Bengals. Well, now they are 0-2. Chiefs at Jags. Travis Kelsey was back. Chris Jones was back. He was on a pitch count. The Chiefs, they won ugly in a playoff rematch in the divisional round against Jacksonville in Jacksonville. But here's what I thought was really uh, comical. You know that right tackle? We talked about that first Thursday night game, last Thursday night. Uh, Jamar Taylor, he's like literally lining up. He's a right tackle, but he looks like he's lining up as a slot receiver almost. And uh, my guy, he was benched for a series. He had five penalties against his old team. He used to play for Jacksonville. Two holding penalties, two false starts, one illegal formation. I wonder why, you don't say. But Jacksonville, they settled for too many field goals and they didn't take advantage of the Kansas City turnovers, which they were three. And they settled way too many times. And, you know, Travis Etienne didn't have as good a day as his brother did against my Vols. But uh, he only had 40 yards. But maybe next week, the Texans, 
they come to see you, right? Chiefs 17, Jags 9, oh, and yeah, uh, my man, Mahomes got broke off with another record contract. Interesting. Packers at Falcons, I told you, B. John Robinson. It's coming. It's only two games in. Let's not go too crazy, but it's coming. As he stays healthy, a buck 24, you know, and the bells on Arthur Smith. This guy goes for it on fourth and one. Robinson picks up the big first down. Young Hoku, Young Hoku kicks the game-winning field goal. There you go. You know, they got they got the game. They got the W. Now, Jordan Love, he was better than late. You know, better early than late, rather. Three touchdown passes, but their last three possessions, only 11 yards for that offense and no first downs, and Love went 0 for 6. And to be fair, yeah, he's missing Christian Watson. They don't have Aaron Jones, and David Bakhtiari for the umpteen game is missing, right? But next man up, I understand that, but Falcons got the W. 25, Packers, 24. Seahawks and Lions, Geno. You can't go in front of the ref when he's talking. I'm talking to America right now, Geno. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. That topped him yelling, oh my God, when Aaron Donald was running free at him last week. Yeah, that that was that was pretty good. He, if you didn't see it, uh, you know, I had the referee turns on his mic and he's making a call because Geno apparently throws the football away and there was no receiver in the area. So, intentional grounding on the quarterback, number seven. And he's, and Gino literally goes right in front of the ref and trying to plead his case. And the ref says, Gino, I'm talking to America right now. That was hilarious. But Jerry Goff, he was great until he threw the pick six that put Detroit in a 10-point hole. But he made up for it. They tied the game at the end of regulation. But Gino was Gino, the new Gino. Nine plays, 75 yards later, game-winning touchdown pass to Tyler, uh, Tyler Lockett. Seahawks ended, 37, Lions 31. Colts at Texas, Anthony Richardson, he got concussed after his second touchdown run. And from what I read on ESPN.com, he didn't say anything until, what, a couple plays, you know, I think into the next series or something like that. That's dangerous. Gardner Minshew, he comes in. He's pretty effective coming off the bench. C.J. Stroud. 384 yards passing. That's great. But the offensive line is not good. He was sacked six times. And of course he was because in training camp, they lost four starters and then Laramie Tunsil was out on Sunday, his left tackle. What are you going to do? But that wasn't even really the story for me. It was John Mechie. You know, this guy made his first NFL catch in his NFL debut after battling leukemia. I mean, I hopefully... The guy continues to ascend and have the same kind of pro career as he had in college at Alabama as a receiver. But anyway, Colts 31, Texans 20. Houston will be probably be picking at the top of the draft again. They are now 0-2. Bears and Buccaneers, Baker Mayfield and Mike Evans, they put on another show. Mayfield, 26 of 34, 317 yards and a touchdown. Evans, six catches, 171 yards. The guy's trying to get paid. He's probably going to get paid by somebody other than the Buccaneers. I hope not. He should retire in Tampa. But it's going to be a long year, though, for Justin Fields in Chicago. Sacked six times. I get it. This offense is just not good. It's just not. Um, and not only did he throw two more picks, but you know he had the pick six again, another pick six. And what was cool about it, though, Shaq Barrett, God bless him, he did dedicate that pick six to his late daughter. That was great. Buccaneers get the win. Chicago's now in the 0-2 hole. Buccaneers 27, Bears 17. Now, the afternoon slate, 
I didn't watch as many of these afternoon games as I really wanted to, but the Giants at the Cardinals, I mean, so Arizona's up 20 to nothing at the half, and then in the third quarter, I'm at church, okay? So I had a service to go to uh, that afternoon. So it's 28 to seven in the third. They're down 21 points, right? I get out of church service, and I find out that Graham Gano kicks a 34-yard field goal to win the game for the Giants. They came all the way back. They won it 31 to 28. Cardinals are now in the 0-2 hole, but it cost them. Another running back, Saquon Barkley, hurt his ankle, knee. You know, MRI was negative from what I heard today, but mm, it, there's another one. Another one bites the dust. Rams, they hosted the 49ers. Tough game for San Francisco, but also a pretty good game. They took care of business, but I haven't heard of Puka Nakua until this season. Didn't know this guy. This guy, he's, he's already set two NFL records with 25 catches in his first two games as a rookie and also 15 catches on Sunday. I mean, I picked him up in fantasy. Hopefully, I do. The waiver has got to go through. But anyway, I will say this. I love BYU receivers. BYU receivers. I really do. And I think it's got something to do with their names. My favorite one was K.O. Kalui. I don't know how many of you guys remember this guy. Bryce Doman, um, Ben Calhoun, Reno Mai. Eric Drage, I used to stay up late watching those old whack games, Western Athletic Conference, for those who don't know. Uh, they they was playing at the time that Dion was playing. They were playing at 9 o'clock on ESPN2. So I, I did. I, I, I loved it. But uh, Nakua and Eric uh, and uh, Tutu Atwell, they're, they're feeling in pretty good for Cooper Cup. Prayers up for him. Get that hamstring together. Stafford throws for three, 300 again. But it wasn't enough, and you had two mistakes at, in the fourth quarter. Two interceptions. You know, it sealed your fate. Brock Purdy and the Niners, they've won their ninth straight regular season game in a row. They move on. San Francisco 30, Rams 23, Jets, Cowboys. Have you seen the movie Great White Hype? You know, they had to invent a fighter pretty much. Uh, and, and there was a lot of hype. And who just imagine a boxing match. If you did not see this movie, Damon Wayans, who was playing the role of the champ, and I forget the, the guy the, the, that played his, uh, the challenger, who they, like I said, they made up and they had all this build up and hype only for, yeah, it, it was, the fight was good for a second. And then Wayans is like, you're trying to embarrass me on national TV? And he whooped him in the first round and then the fight was over with. And it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was last week when Aaron Rodgers went down. And I think they're just feeling the after effects this week. And Shannon Sharp, that was so mean. Zach Wilson can't play dead in a horror movie. That's that's pretty bad. I mean, you got a 37-year-old tackle trying to block uh, the best defensive player in the league right now. You you can't ask a guy like that to block Michael Parsons. What are you doing? And the offensive line already had questions. That's the reason why we're talking about Aaron Rodgers already because he got touched on two of the four plays that they ran, that he was in. That's not great. But anyway, with that being said, Dallas Cowboy fans, calm down. Let's, let's, let's let this thing kind of like Colorado. You beat the Giants, you beat the Jets, and they, they're not very good teams right now. They're not. I want to see you do this when it gets to the playoffs. The offense hasn't been on fire. Five field goals, that doesn't scare anybody. Just think about that. You kick five field goals. Your defense can't do it all, all the time. Wait till I get to my Pittsburgh Steelers. 
They're carrying this team. Michael Parsons probably could win the NFL MVP as well as Defensive Player of the Year right now. They picked up par, picked off poor Zach Wilson, what, three times? Parsons got two of the three sacks. And speaking of these defense, and I really hate to do this, but the Jets are going to have to get some of those kind of turnovers if they're going to have a chance to win the game. But, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. It really is when your offense isn't scoring. And uh, Garrett Wilson, I feel bad for him. I mean, he caught, what, two passes on Sunday. He think he's caught like three or four for the season. It's not going to be a good good year for him unless Woody Johnson and Robert Salah go find them a quarterback. Understand you say you believe in Zach Wilson? No, stop it. Just stop it. Cowboys 30, Jets 10, Commanders at Broncos. Broncos, you blew an 18-point lead. And I have to borrow from my man Colin Cowherd. Descriptive plays, Wilson was like 80-plus percent passing. But then when he had to pull one out of his butt, what happened? This guy is not the same Russell Wilson. That guy's gone. I don't know what happened. He's, he's not there anymore. And we got the Hail Mary at the end of the game, and they almost tied it because they were booing again. The, the Bronco fans are booing again. They're going to find another quarterback there too. It's just not working. He's not the same Russell Wilson. I don't know what it is. Even at the end of his days in Seattle, I think maybe it's a mental thing. It's got to be because physically he looks like he's fine. It's not like he's been hurt like that. I don't know what it is, but Google Mooga. Yeah, Denver fans will get that. Commanders 35, Broncos 33, Sunday Night Football, Dolphins at Patriots. Tua, MVP, way too early race. Yeah, he should be at the top if you look in offense. Um, but they're telling the kind of the truth if you listen to any sports talk radio. Dolphins look inventive and innovative, but New England does not. Offensively, it's like 2023 meets 1985. Yeah, New England and Bill Belichick, they, they come up with some great defensive schemes. They got the cool field goal block, and everybody in America is going to start trying to use that until the NFL you know, probably makes up something to say, you you can't move during a field goal kick. But uh, we need to see, you know, we probably need to see that offense morph like it did when Tom Brady was there. And I know that's a stretch to ask, but defensively, Belichick, he's still one of the best. He held Tariq Hill to five catches and 40 yards, even though he scored. But Miami ran the football. Raheem Morstead only had 18 carries, had a buck 21, and scored twice. That's what they need to do. They morphed. Dolphins 24, Patriots 17. We had two Monday night football games, Panthers at the Saints. Kind of feel bad for Bryce Young. You see his family up there. Look like they worried about him. His offensive line is terrible. Miles Sanders having to move him uh, from the guard behind standing up behind the guard to move him uh, behind the center i mean but for a second week in a row you got Derek carr to rashid shaheed on a deep pass to kind of put the game away chris olave's great catch on that last drive tony jones jr with the two yard touchdown run yeah young put together the last drive that was impressive got the two-point conversion they ran out of time saints 20 panthers 17 final ones browns at steelers classy Classy, classy, classy fans in Pittsburgh. Classy, that's part of the reason why I'm a fan. Nick Chubb, that was an ugly knee injury. I thought he broke his leg at first. You see, he gets flipped, and, you know, he tore almost every uh, ligament in his knee. I think it's the only one I didn't see named was the ACL. Maybe I'm wrong by now. It's Tuesday. That was Monday night. But, man, I mean, I hate that for him. Another one of those running backs went down hurt. It was bad. But the Steelers' offense stinks. It does. Right now, it stinks. I mean, it's, I don't know what it is. 
I mean, I, I like Kitty Pickett and I love George Pickett, but this is, and I like Najee Harris, but there's really no running game when it's not consistent. Now, yeah, we played against two really good defenses, though. The Browns last week, the Browns defense uh, showed they butt against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And they've been talking about their defense throughout all of training camp. And they showed up last night, too. They had their takeaways, and they they made moves. But, uh, I mean, in the first week, Pittsburgh had to play against uh, the, the 49ers defense. They just came from the NFC Championship game. They didn't lose a whole lot, right? But, uh, I mean, that's what it is. Maybe it's going to improve. The defense, for us, carried the team to a win. Six sacks on Deshaun Watson. A pick six on the first pass. Alex Highsmith. T.J. Watt with a scoop and score at the end of the game that proved to be the game winner. Well, if Chubb doesn't get hurt, I mean, maybe they we don't win that game. Oh, and then you got the guy, his backup, Jerome Ford, comes in and runs for 106 like it wasn't nothing. We gave up 198 yards as the Steelers did on Monday night, on last night. And then they gave up God knows how many. I don't remember the number last week. Of course, Christian McCaffrey ran for like a buck 50. Got to do better than that. Got to do better than that. I'll take the win, especially in division. Got to do better than that. Steelers 26, Browns 22. Coming up next, the NFL as we know it would not be had it not been for a meeting at a Fort Worth airport in an Oldsmobile. Okay, so last week, our focus was on the 1968 New York Jets. You know, they became the first AFL team to beat an NFL champion in the Super Bowl, in the championship game. All right, the AFL, NFL championship game is what they, they hadn't called it the Super Bowl as of yet. Eventually, that's what it was called, right? We also talked about the merger that was in place to happen that was agreed upon in 1966. We talked about the multiple leagues that led up to this moment. Six, to be exact. You had six pro football leagues to try to rival the NFL. All of them came and died. Didn't last no time, right? The NFL comes along in 1960, and they made up of some owners that was, and one in particular, that was told no. Uh, and uh, he decided to start his own league, Lamar Hunt. And uh, he had uh, eight other, uh, it was eight total teams, seven other guys that wanted to have teams. It's like, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and let's, let's do this thing. And so they did. And so this would not go away like the previous six leagues. They battled the NFL for players. They won some, they lost some. The NFL won some, they lost some. And it was all about the money between the vets and the rookies that were being drafted. Who had the highest dollar? And then, Mentioning again those New York Jets, that's those 68 Jets were made up of some of those old, some of those vets that had played in the NFL as well as rookies that chose the AFL. The Jets had Joe Namath, who had $427,000 of a contract to sign with the New York Jets, a record number at the time. He was picked number one overall by the AFL, and I think the Cardinals had picked him either 12th or 19th. I can't remember which. But he wasn't picked as high, as high. Roland Biggs, 
He was one of the few HBCU players that was selected in the draft, and he chose the AFL. Emerson Boozer, running back for the Jets, he was selected also by the New York Giants, and he chose to stay in New York but with the AFL's Jets. They were drafted by both. Now, you had veterans that played for the Baltimore Colts, whom the Jets beat in that Super Bowl. You had Winston Hill, who was uh, the left tackle, who was cut in 1963 after the head coach of the Jets, Weeb Eubank, had drafted him, okay? Johnny Sample was with the Baltimore Colts in those 58 and 59 seasons playing defensive back during those championship years. He was eventually blackballed for the league, from the league, right? He chose the AFL. Eubank, again, we always told this story from time to time. He gets the, uh, gets done with the draft or whatever. He thinks he still got a job. And the owner, Carol Rosenblum, goes behind his back and offers his job to Don Shula. Who takes it? Yeah, you got that. And then we ended the show talking about how 16 years earlier, the All-America Football Conference, when it came along, uh, Four years in 1946 to 1949, when it ended, it was a similar battle that was going on between these two rival leagues. And it ended because yeah, the money was becoming too much for both leagues to try to keep up. And both leagues were hemorrhaging money. But then, again, the AAFC was hemorrhaging teams. And they had a bunch of teams. Some of them uh, were absorbed. And then others... They were. They only took on three. The NFL only took on the Cleveland Browns, the San Francisco 49ers, and the first incarnation of the Baltimore Colts, which increased the NFL from 10 teams to 13. And the rest, again, again, they were absorbed by either other teams, say like the L.A. Dons were absorbed by the L.A. Rams, and then some teams just went away, period. Uh, by 65, the NFL was going to try doing the exact same thing, pretty much buying out. To, for the lack of better way to say it, try to buy out the AFL. Say, hey, look, you know, let's merge, but we're only going to take certain teams. And AFL wasn't trying that, so they had a meeting. It was Carol Rosenblum, uh, Pete Rosell, and you had Carol Rosenblum as well as Art Modell. They had met with the Buffalo Bills owner Ralph Wilson, and again, it was a fifty million dollar price tag on this thing for them to come on and join our league. And, you know, we're only going to take certain teams. He got up and walked out. He said, no, nah, not, not a chance. The NFL, at one point, they just had no choice. The NFL was not going away because of TV. They had, while the NFL had CBS, I think at the time the AFL had NBC. And I think they, uh, the AFL I actually switched to, I think it was ABC. They went from ABC and then NBC in 1965. But, they had TV contracts that put their product on the air, okay, for everybody to see. Then they had the players. And then also, they had the markets to go with it. The AFL, unlike the AAFC, had staying power. Roselle had met with Tech Schramm, also with the NFL general councilman Hamilton Carruthers, and said, hey, look, okay, we're going to do this merger thing. It's going to take congressional approval in order for us to merge. And again, I quote, quote again from Charles Ross's book, Mavericks, Money, and Men, is about the history of the AFL. Carruthers pointed out that if some AFL teams were not included or forced to move, this will surely prompt legislators in that state to oppose the merger. 
His final instructions were that any negotiations needed to be kept confidential and the merger talks could not afford leaks. And it was decided that Tex Schramm would be the NFL representative and he had to reach out to someone who was, and they quote, discreet and influential in the NFL. And according to Ross's uh, book, Schramm has said, I suppose it's going to have to be Lamar. <laughs> I guess that's the way he said it, kind of drug it out. Lamar, Lamar Hunt. Of who he was talking about, obviously. So, you know, you had the NFL wanted to only take certain teams. And then on, on top of that, they wanted teams like the New York Jets to move as well as the Oakland Raiders to move because they had the 49ers uh, and the Rams in the West. And then, of course, in New York, they had the Giants. So, you know, that, that was part of the thing uh, that they wanted to not lose money to another team so it's like y'all got to move into another place where our established teams are y'all going to move and it's like no we're not doing that so you know but anyway this was step one step one was when the jets beat the baltimore coast who was the greatest thing since sliced bread since the packers had won the first two super bowls and they were literally on the at the end of their rope as far as being a dynasty because they didn't get back to the Super Bowl until 1996. So uh, that was great. But here's here we go. Kick the music. April 4th, 1966. So Lamar Hunt, Lamar Hunt, who was one of those in the Foolish Club, remember, he was the one that wanted the NFL team. Between George Hallis and Burt Bell, they told him, yeah, you know, we don't need no expansion. And then the Cardinals, whom Hunt tried to buy, said, eh, you know, we're not... Uh, we're not selling. And so, especially in Dallas. So again, Hunt decided to start his own league and that was off that piece of paper that he was handed some stationery by a stewardess while he was on a flight uh, heading back to Dallas. And he scripted out of his plan of the AFL. The plan worked, okay? And Tex Schramm was one of the ones that Hunt did not get along with. Shram had no love for him. They started the Dallas Cowboys right up under Hunt's nose after they told Hunt that Dallas could not have an expansion franchise. And so as, as soon as Lamar Hunt starts the Dallas Texans before they moved to Kansas City, because they was there in 60, 61, and 62. Not until 1963 did they move that franchise from being the Dallas Texans to being the Kansas City Chiefs. They decided the same year, a couple of months after, <laughs> a couple of months after he was told that he could not have an expansion team in Dallas because the city wouldn't support it. Well, they started the Dallas Cowboys. They was trying to push them out. He was even told by them, hey, why don't you start your own league? And he went and did that. I guess they didn't believe him. But anyway, they didn't have the best relationship. And so Shram is having to call this guy up. Lamar Hunt's at the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offices on 63rd Street, and he gets the call from Shram. And he was heading to an AFL owners meeting in Houston anyway, so he decided to have a layover. Because on that phone call, Shram was like, look, we need to talk about something that's going to be basically beneficial for both of us, all right? And so he meets him at Love Field in Fort Worth. I've been... Uh, only time I've been to that airport twice, which was, you know, the flight there and the flight from when we went to Dallas, Texas uh, back in back this summer. And it was hot as fish grease. 
but I never saw the statue, but apparently Shram was standing by the Texas Rangers statue on a Wednesday evening, waiting on Lamar Hunt. They met, shook hands, and they proceeded to the parking lot because it had to be a confidential meeting, right? Well, they go get in Shram's Oldsmobile. And I keep wondering, is this the same car? Because when they start the Cowboys, you know that color of the pants that the Cowboys have? That was the, the color of the interior of the car, apparently. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But apparently that was, I wonder if this is the same car that they was talking about that he had bought. But anyway, they talked for 45 minutes in a meeting in that car about a merger. The two men couldn't be seen in public. So they had to do this, you know, you know, under wraps, right? Pete Rosell, so is going to be the commissioner. This is part of the merger agreement. This is the stuff that he's throwing out at Lamar Hunt. This is what'll make the merger work. So Pete Rosell is going to be the commissioner of both uh, uh, of the entire league. There's only going to be one guy. All AFL teams were going to be included. Now, Joe Foss, who was the AFL's commissioner, he was resigning before he got fired by the owners because some of the things that were going on, the cloak and dagger stuff that the NFL was pulling, he wasn't, I guess, pulling his weight and trying to protect their league. And so he, he went on and resigned. And who did they put in their place, in his place? Al Davis. Al Davis, who apparently wasn't liked that much at the time, but he was a part of the league. And, you know, that's who they put in as the commissioner. Fast forward to May 3rd. It's like I said, this was April 8th is when the commissioner of the AFL, Joe Foss, had resigned. Fast forward to May 3rd. Tex Schramm, he goes to Hunt's home and they have another meeting. And so not $50 million. Each, uh, so each owner was going to be responsible for coming up with a total of, for all of them to put together $18 million total, which was going to be about $2 million per team out of those eight teams. And that was for, I, I've never said this word before, okay? Indemnity, is that how you say it? Basically protection. Uh, against financial loss so you have the jets and the giants in the same uh in the same city right so that's going to protect these teams from having financial losses remember you had teams that were losing money and hemorrhaging money left and right throughout the history of pro football to this point and so that was protection for those teams basically for the ones that was in the same uh in the same zip code almost as these afl teams and so you had like I said, the Giants and the Jets, the 49ers and the Raiders. And there was a threat actually that was going to blow the deal because Hunt was like, okay, we can do this. But part of a, um, a unspoken agreement that they had between the AFL and NFL was that no team was going to do, basically sign the exact same players like that and not, not go after uh, somebody else's players and Wellington Mara of the New York Giants went and signed Buffalo's kicker Pete Goglack and that was because Goglack wouldn't offer the same contract as the Giants was going to offer and everybody was pissed off at him uh, Baltimore's uh, Carol Rosenblum was mad uh, Vince Lombardi of the Packers was mad they all it's like if you wanted a kicker so bad I would have gave you one you know so uh, that threatened and kind of put a strain. And then Al Davis and the AFL kind of responded in kind. Remember all those players I talked about last week 
the Roman Gabriels, the John Brodies, the Mike Dickers, the Paul Hornings, they were throwing money at some of those veterans that they not all of them signed, okay? So, but they was going after the NFL's players. It's like, look, we got to calm this thing down and we got to get this deal done. Like I said, they're going from 65 into 1966. Hunt presented this deal to the other AFL owners who kind of balked at it at first, but it's like, look here, we are actually going to make more money uh, per team than we ever have because we're going to be a part of the NFL as a whole and that's going to, to go along with the TV deals and everything else. And we're not going to be looked at as inferior. It's going to be all one professional football league. And so the only problem with that is that Al Davis was left out to dry. So months after he took the job, he was going to be out. Davis apparently thought that he was going to be the commissioner pretty much, uh, well, not the commissioner, but he was going to head up the AFL teams and Roselle was going to be heading up the NFL teams. That was not the deal. And he was told at the last minute about the merger as well. He had to keep that under wraps. That's what Hunt was told. And then he did speak to the other owners when he was told to. Well, June 8th, the details were released publicly. And these were the details. Roselle was going to be a commissioner. There was going to be a world championship game, the best from the AFL and the NFL, right? All teams were included, nobody was moving. He was gonna have expansion teams by 1968, interleague preseason games that were gonna start in 1967, and there was gonna be a single league schedule in 1970, and also a common draft would be happening the following January. So, you was gonna have the continued two network coverage as well because you had two networks. One was the AFLs and the other one was the NFLs. You had CBS and NBC, it's like, well, darn, now we're going to be not televising the actual championship games of East League, but they're going to be more like semifinals. You got AFC and NFC championship games, right? That's pretty much what it was going to be looking like. But Roselle squashed that and said, look, this is what we're going to do. Both networks are going to broadcast the Super Bowl, which was named by Lamar Hunt because of the Super Bowl his kids played with, and they loved the idea, and they went with it. Although, if you look at the program, the first soup, the first two actually had the AFL and NFL World Championship. The one that actually had the first one, to my knowledge, that had Super Bowl on the program was Super Bowl three. That was cool. But like I said, Packers had dominated the first two games. They beat Kansas City 35 to 10. They beat uh the Oakland Raiders 33 to 14. They outscored both of these teams 68 to 24. That's not great. But you had some great players that played with the Kansas City Chiefs. You had Lynn Dawson. You had Mike Garrett. You had Otis Taylor. These are some of these guys that either played for the NFL and went to the AFL or guys who were drafted by the AFL and chose the AFL like Otis Taylor. Fred the Hammer Williamson, Buck Buchanan, Emmett Thomas, Hank Schramm. And, uh, you know, after that first game, you had those comments by Vince Lombardi post-game after the first Super Bowl He's like, look, you know, the NFL doesn't compare to the NFL. Yeah, we're merging. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You know, he didn't say anything about the merger that I, that I've ever heard. We are, we may be merging, but they don't compare to us. I told you about the disrespect, the Mickey Mouse League comments and all until the '68 Jets won. Then Kansas City comes back to the Super Bowl in 1969, the final year 
of this whole thing. The 69 season. 1970, everything was going to be won. The AFL was not a fluke. We already want to prove that because the Jets did it, right? Remember, Roselle, two days prior to Super Bowl three, had said that he was going to alter the championship game and have the superior NFL teams play in the Super Bowl. That's not what we talked about. That was not the agreement. And then he's having, after the 68 game, after the um, Super Bowl three, he's going to Pat Summerall talking about drag taking a drag from a cigarette. <sighs> Tell me all you know about the, the New York Jets. He didn't know anything. He found out. Yeah, mess around and find out. I can't say that. I can't. So, all right, Super Bowl four was going to fe feature the, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, which was another side story in itself. This They had... Max Winter was one of the original owners that were going to be in the AFL back in 1960. He pulls out at the last minute and decides he's going to go with the NFL instead. And in 1961, you have the Minnesota Vikings. So, yeah, the AFL wasn't exactly happy. Yes, they would get their revenge. Bud Grant, he brings in his 12-2 team. He's got Joe Cap. He's got the Purple People Eaters like Alan Page and Carl Eller. He's got Paul Krause. And then you got the 11-3 Kansas City Chiefs who didn't even win their own division. They finished second to the Oakland Raiders. So, you know, you have this uh, entire thing, the whole setting um, with the AFL. And the AFL by itself was actually really unique. They were more welcoming to African-American players. The NFL wasn't drafted a lot, at least not high, from HBCUs. The Kansas City Chiefs, in particular, played the best players regardless of race. Okay? So, yeah, Buck Buchanan, who was selected by the New York Giants in the 19th round, well, Kansas City made him the number one overall pick, the first black player to be selected number one overall in pro football history. The first one. You know, to go along with all the other great players that they had, they had Wendell Hayes, they had uh, Tank Holmes and Willie Lanier and Jim Lynch. Uh, and Lanier and Lynch, they were the first black and white roommates on the road. That never happened before. Never happened before. And yet, like I said, you had so many great players that were on that team. Uh, and when you go to Bobby Bell, who was University of, of Minnesota Outland Trophy winner and All-American, you know, he signed with the Chiefs instead of with the Minnesota Vikings. They picked him. The Vikings picked him in the second round, but he went with the NFL. He rather played with them, who selected him in the seventh. They were more welcoming. Then, of course, you got you know guys like Lloyd Wells. He was the first full-time black scout. Okay, he was responsible for eight players that turned out to be all pros for the Kansas City Chiefs, four Pro Football Hall of Famers. He drafted Buck Buchanan. He, his resume, he didn't draft him, but you know it was his scouting. You got Buck Buchanan out of Grambling, as well as Goldie Sellers. TSU's James Marsalis, Nolan Smith, and Willie Mitchell. From Southern, you had Robert Holmes and Frank Pitts. Otis Taylor played at Prairie View. Willie Lanier from Morgan State, the first black middle linebacker, and Emmett Thomas out of Bishop. So, I mean, you, you had some players that were great and the NFL wasn't exactly trying to touch it. I mean, I understand their mentality, but then too, like I said, they had to have a humbling and they did get one. If it wasn't, I mean, this time they did, okay? This time they really, really did. 
And so when you get to the game, Jimmy the Greek, he's at it again. He had 18 point favorites with the Colts. That was dashed to pieces. So he had the Vikings by 13. And his reasoning was because that Kansas City finished behind Oakland. Lynn Dawson, he went through everything as a quarterback that season. He didn't have the best year. Nine touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Only started seven games. His father had died. He had a knee injury. And then before the Super Bowl, there was a gambling probe on him, which he was cleared of. You know, but the guy came out. He played. He won Super Bowl MVP. Numbers weren't the greatest, but the guy played as good as he was supposed to play that day. Then there's Ed Sable. You know, nice story there. NFL films. He wires Hank Schramm. Everybody should that's a football fan should have heard all of that, that the monologue that he had 65 toss power trap to see what it looks like. You know, uh, you marked it good, good, you marked it good first down. Matriculate the ball up and down the field, boys. And then the laugh at the end that he had uh, of the game once they won it, that was great. So, you know, as far as the game itself, you had um, Jan Stenerud, he kicks three field goals, gives an early 9-0 lead. The 65 toss power trap to Mike Garrett, that gave him a 16-0 lead. The Vikings closed the gap with Dave Osborne. He scores a touchdown. It's 16-7. Okay, so what happens? The Chiefs put him away. If you watch that game or seen the highlights from that game, Otis Taylor catches a six-yard pass. He runs the remaining 40 yards to break the Vikings back. And that was it. 37, uh, excuse me, 23 to 7 final. There was no doubt. But you know, it, it was it was a great win for the AFL who they won, they actually won their 10-year patches on that game, the very last game that they would be playing as an AFL team. And that was great going out, not only beating two of the NFL's best, but even that last game you had Lamar Hunt, who was started this whole thing, beating one of the teams that backed out on him. Because he wanted, the, the Max Winter and his partners want to do something with a better league. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, I mean, <laughs> karma, man. But did you know that the Kansas City Chiefs were the first championship team to have a majority of their starters being black? And I had an article from a, uh, a show that I did a long time ago about Lloyd Wells, written by Samuel G. Friedman. And I'm going to quote, the 1969 Chiefs had 13 players from HBCUs on their 44-man roster. And that was the most of pro football, including African-Americans from predominantly white schools. The Chiefs starting lineup featured a majority of black starters, 12 of 22, which had never happened in a championship game. That was great. It was the last game, again, that they would ever play. And it seemed fitting that the last, the, the, uh, yet Lamar Hunt was in the first one and the last one. And then the last two, won by those back to back by those AFL teams they took it to the house and that was great the merger was official on February 1st 1970 all you know the AFC was made up of all AFC teams except for the Browns Steelers and Colts because they agreed to have they had to have an even number in both ends he had 26 teams back then so he had 13 in the AFC and 13 in the NFC uh and then Another thing was the, the competition, the competition committee that was made up of Vince Lombardi, Tex Schramm, uh, also Paul Brown and now Davis. You know, they went back and forth about, you know, how they would go forward with the scoreboard and, and all of it. They agreed with to put names on the back of the jerseys like the AFL did. Uh, they went with the single point rule of the NFL. 
the NFL's ball, not the AFL ball. They went with the AFL scoreboard and their clock. And again, 13 teams per conference, and they had three divisions. And eventually, they would get that two-point conversion in there too. The AFL was doing two-point conversions. The AFL did facilitate the evolution of modern football as we know it today. Just imagine if the NFL had won all four of those championships. Green Bay, Baltimore, Minnesota, you know, they won all four. That probably would have reversed or even altered the AFL's merging with the NFL. But, hey, thank God for that meeting in Tex Rams Oldsmobile. That's it. References. Thanks to ESPN.com, also ProFootballReference.com, and Scape.com. The last time this article, this is the title, the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, they won with HBCU talent. Samuel G. Friedman was the author. This was written January 29th, 2020. Also, a couple of books. America's Game, the NFL at 100. Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams co-written. Mavericks, Money and Men, the AFL, Black Players, and the Evolution of Modern Football. This written by Charles K. Ross. Awesome book, by the way. Countdown to Super Bowl, how the 68-69 Jets delivered on Joe Namath's guarantee to win it all. That written by Dave Anderson. Also, Collision of Wills. This was Johnny United's Don Shula and the Rise of the Modern NFL. That written by Jack Gildon. And also, the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl book, the 1993 edition. I wonder if they still write that. I don't think they do. But the editors, Tom Diner, Joe Hoppel, and Dave Sloan. And finally... I would like to reference my eyes, ears, and brain. Thank you very much. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Billy Up Sports and Billy Up Media. Uh, Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. That's what I'm a part of. Go to BillyUpSports.com. Check out everything, and especially our home base, where you can find all of our shows, especially this one, on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show. And just remember, I do work for Federal Express. I will find your house. I'm out.